Let's start with, a, with um, reading the word. Take out your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, whatever you use. It's really interesting now, huh? How um, things have evolved, but we got to get with the program. So God is not limited by the changes of this world, right? He's still going to reach his children. Let's start by just reading this passage in, in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. If you follow with me. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are also coming with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find the fish. So they cast it, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and threw himself into the sea. But other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already made and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. So Simon Peter went up and hauled the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to inquire of him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he, raised, he was raised from the dead. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. Truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now he said this indicating, but what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is betraying you? So Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I do want to focus on Peter specifically. But first, um, let's review a little bit of what happened before. For those of you who are familiar, right before uh, 
The disciples had spent three years with Jesus in his ministry. They saw him teach. They saw him perform miracles. They saw how he treated people. They saw how he loved people. They learned so much from him. And through that time, Jesus would tell them of what was going to happen to him. Jesus told them several times, tried to explain what his plan was. But the disciples were so focused on an earthly kingdom, an earthly rule, that they couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. And Jesus also told them, you know, hey, after my death and resurrection, I'll meet you at Galilee. So here we are in John 21, um, where the disciples knew that, okay, Jesus said he was going to meet us at Galilee. So there they were the night before. And, um, and so let's get back to Peter, since that's who I kind of want to focus on. Um, who is Peter? So Peter was one of the first disciples. He was called, um, Jesus called him and his brother, Andrew, while they were fishing and said they were going to be fishers of men. Jesus renamed him Cephas, which translated to Peter, which means a rock or a stone. His father is Jonah. He's married, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Peter confessed Jesus was the Messiah, and Jesus tells him, on this rock, I will build my church. And only a, ver a dozen verses later, Peter rebukes Jesus, who sternly rebukes Peter. Peter confidently asks Jesus to prove to him that if it really is him, to make him walk on water. Jesus predicts he will deny him, and Peter not so humbly claims that he would never do such a thing. Peter denies Jesus three times as Jesus predicted, and Peter repented. So we know, of course, there's so many other uh, descriptions of Peter throughout the Gospels. We can read through that. Uh, these are just a few that I, I thought um, I would point out. But what we know really, Peter's claim to fame, for those of us that are familiar, he talked a lot. He talked probably more than all the disciples put together. Um, and I must confess that I am more like Peter than I'd like to admit. And as I was thinking about, Lord, what do you want me to share at Castle Rock, really it's about, Lord, what do you want to teach me? And that's when he brought out, well, you're more like Peter than you'd like to, to, to admit. Peter was a leader. He was confident in his abilities. He was confident that he was walking with Jesus. I mean, Jesus had told them throughout the ministry that, hey, you're going to be my leader. You're going to help me build this church. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, Peter's, Peter became prideful, and, and he thought that he would never mess up. And I have to say that I, I can kind of relate to that because I grew up in the church. I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. And sometimes um, you think, you know, you're in and you got it, you're good. But uh, Jesus has been wanting to teach me a couple of lessons, and that's what I want to share with you. So we know, um, like we said, that Peter really messed up. Like, he was so confident that he would never mess up, that he was good, he knows the truth, he's walking with Jesus. He's literally walking with Jesus. And he was so confident that he was immune to messing up. But he did. I mean, he messed up badly. He denied Jesus three times after walking with him in ministry. He denied him. And we see in Luke that the third time he denied him, we're not going to go in, into the verses, and you can check back. You can double-check yourself. Um, the third time that he denied him, 
Jesus looked at Peter, and, and Peter realized what he had done, and he wept bitterly. And I just can't imagine carrying that burden. And so we go fast forward to John, to um, John 21, where, you know, they, they go fishing, they're going to meet with Jesus, and they're in this moment. And I wonder when, when Peter said, I want to go fishing, you know, um, I, I'm going to reference, kind of paraphrase uh, the book, Desire of Ages by Ellen White, if any of you have, hasn't read it. It's really insightful. So I'm going to reference a little bit from there. But it says that, uh, you know, Peter still loved fishing. And so I, I wonder if um, after everything that had happened, you know, Jesus died um, and the disciples were so confused. They didn't understand. They thought he was going to, to overthrow Rome because they were under, under Rome oppression. They, they really thought like, Jesus is it. He's gonna, we're going to be free. We're going we're gonna to be great. Um, they didn't understand that, that what Jesus was talking about was, was a bigger picture, was, was a heavenly kingdom. And so they were confused. And I wonder if when Peter said, I need to go fishing, I wonder if it was a way for him to just, I need to get distracted. I, I just, I don't even know. I wonder if he was just kind of carrying that in his heart. But Jesus had a plan. Jesus saw through Peter. And so here we come. Um, they try fishing all night, as we see in, in John 21, and they didn't catch anything. Jesus is waiting for them. Um, and, and he says, you know, children, you didn't catch anything, did you? And, and I love how Jesus refers to them as children. After everything they've been through, they're God's children. And they're like, no, we did it. You know, John realizes it's Jesus, really excited. Peter you know, just kind of swims over there, even though it isn't that far. Um, and, and Jesus has this, you know, breakfast for them. They're, they're mingling and in fellowship. And, you know, Jesus had already predicted, he had already set Peter to be the leader of his church. Like that was set. Even, even um, in, in Luke, when Jesus predicted that Peter was going to deny him, he said, when you deny me, and when you repent, and when you come back to me, take care of my flock. So that was already set, you know, but I wonder if, if Peter was just so caught up in all of that that he, he just didn't grasp it because he felt just terrible of what had happened. But Jesus had a plan. And so they're having breakfast, and Jesus knew that Peter had lost credibility with his disciples. He knew that the disciples needed to trust him. If Peter was going to be effective as a leader, his disciples needed to trust him. And so that's when he says, we see in um, John 21, verses 15 through 17, that he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Because he denied Jesus three times. And he does this in front of the disciples. He wants the disciples to see that he repented. He wants Peter to be honest with himself, with God, and with his brethren. And that's one of the points that I wanted to bring up. There's four lessons that I got from this, from this whole passage and how Jesus dealt with it. And the first one was, um, you know, Jesus... Jesus knew everything that happened. Jesus knows our heart, but he wants us to be honest with ourselves. Like I said, I grew up in the church. I grew up 
um, in a Hispanic church, and you know, things are very black and white, things are the way they are, and there's this pride that we know the truth, that we have the truth, and, and nothing's gonna phase us, and, and we're never gonna fail, we got it, you know, the people outside of, of here are not in, we're in, in this mentality, and actually, we see here in the journey with the disciples and with Peter, um, and Jesus is like, I need you to be honest with each other. If you're going to be effective as my disciples, you need to be honest with yourself first. And how many times also in my life, God wants me to be honest with myself. I know so many times I've thought that if I pray fancy prayers and if I say the right thing, then maybe it'll please God. But God's like, I know you more than you know yourself. Can we just be honest and really here, can we be honest? Can we be honest that the church is imperfect? Can we be honest that we could have walked with the Lord, we could know the Lord, we can know the truth for years, but that doesn't mean we're immune to falling? Can we be honest that Sometimes, especially if we're seven-day Adventists, we can be so institutionalized that we think we're good, we're set, we got it. And sometimes even we don't realize we may even have an us-and-them mentality. Can we be honest of the hard truth that hard things happen in the church? That leaders do bad things, that leaders fail, that they hurt others, that their behaviors are not right. And sometimes even, many times it's covered. We cover it because we don't want the church to have a bad name and so we cover it instead of protecting people. Can we be honest that sometimes we don't even like each other in the church? that we are different. Sometimes we don't know what to do with our differences. We're different, we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages. I'm Mexican-American. My parents immigrated from Mexico way before I was born. And we're a pretty spicy family. God knew I needed some sweetness in my life, so he gave me my dear husband, who is from Colorado. And he needed some spice too. And so we've had to learn, we've had to learn to embrace each other. But it's not so easy in the church. You know, it's, it's hard, especially when you think about the generational differences. I mean, I think, you know, I'm technically a millennial. I feel like I'm an old soul millennial. But if I think about Generation Z, younger than me, and they're in their 20s, even I feel like they're very different from me. And I think we spend a lot more time focusing on what divides us versus what unites us. And we need to be honest that, hey, we're, we disagree. It's okay if we disagree. We need to be honest that, hey, we're different. We don't have it all together. Like, we don't know it all. Let's learn together. I think the reason why we're having a hard time as a church 
bringing other people in is because we're not honest with ourselves, even within our church. And I think if we were real with each other, if we were authentic, that would attract people and say, huh, that church is real. Like, they're not, they're not faking it. They, they, know, they know they need Jesus. I know I've heard from so many people say, you know, all these things, your leaders, this happens, look at what they're doing. And that's a whole nother story. But I think if we changed it and we're open and honest with each other within the church, if we're open, if we're honest with God, he already knows it, but he wants us to be honest with him. And if we're honest with each other and with ourselves, we can be more effective. Psalm 139, probably my favorite psalm, says that God knows what we're going to think even before we think it. So why act like he doesn't know the depths of our heart? He does. And so he wanted Peter to be honest with himself. And he wanted Peter to be honest with his brethren and with God, for him to acknowledge that I messed up, guys. I messed up bad. The next point is God wants you as is, but won't leave you as is. Like I mentioned, Jesus had already chosen Peter to be the leader of his church, knowing his flaws, knowing that he was going to deny him three times. Like I also mentioned, he said in Luke chapter 22 that when you deny me, when you repent and you come back to me, you take care of my flock. While Peter, while Jesus wanted Peter as is, he wasn't going to leave him as is. Peter had to fail miserably. He had to come to terms with himself and realize that he needed Jesus more than anything. There's this quote that really jumped at me that I listened to in this podcast. Resumes tell you where I've been, but you cannot define my life based on studying where I've been. If you want to understand me, study where he is leading me. My requirement as his baby boy and his baby girl, where I go, son, daughter, you go. The best thing about every place you will ever go in your life is that I'm there. So I don't care if you don't talk about the place. You can talk about the pillar that was in that place. And he goes on to say a little bit about Exodus 33 and the promised land. And he said, when the promised land becomes less important to you than his presence, you say things like, don't even ask me to go to the land of the promise if your presence is not there. My resume may tell you where I've been, but the best part of my story is in him. I wonder if Peter saw the promised land as Jesus is going to rule I'm going to be with him. I'm going to lead the church. But then he realizes that none of that matters without Jesus. If he denied knowing Jesus, it doesn't matter anymore. And so I'm wondering if when Jesus asked me, do you love me? It came to his mind what he did. And he's like, I don't even want to go to that place. I want to talk about Jesus, who's my pillar. I'd rather you be there. Otherwise, I don't want it. 
But see, it's a process. I'm going to share a little bit about my story, but I'm not going to go into detail. We can be here all day. My husband says they need like a five-part series to talk about my story. But I can relate to this journey where God wants to teach us that it is a journey in the Christian walk. Like I said, my parents are Mexican immigrants. They came before I was born. They were Catholic. And my dad always had a desire to know the truth. He studied with what he knew. He asked questions, but nobody had answers for him. And he said a prayer that, Lord, if you show me your truth, I will follow it, no matter the cost. Him and my mom came to the United States. My older sister was six months old. And I was having a hard time whether I should share this, but I am going to share it. They came here undocumented. They came here illegally. That came with its own traumas and its own difficulties. I was raised with their baggage. My sisters and I grew up in a very abusive home, toxic home. But yet, on the other hand, we went to church. They had found the truth in the Adventist church, and we would go to church regularly. It was very confusing because at home it was awful, it was abusive, it was an unloving home. But on the other hand, we would go to church and I would learn about Jesus in the Sabbath school classes. And you know, over the years, God has been with me through all of that trauma that I've been through, through so many things. Like I said, I, I won't go into detail. And I always think about finding Michael as kind of my own promised land here on earth, finding true love in him, allowing God to choose a husband for me. And I, and I say that, um, you know, literally God handed Michael to me. And I, not that I consciously thought that I had it together, not that I consciously thought, I'm done, I'm good when I married him, but it was almost like, wow, Lord, thank you. After everything I've been through, after not knowing love here on earth, you gave me this amazing husband, this healthy relationship that I've never had. And again, it's not that I consciously thought I'm good, I don't need anything. You know, we were serving in church. Um, ministry was almost my second full-time job, and, and I love serving the Lord through the church and in different ways. And in 2018, everything was going well, and I had um, literally a mental breakdown. A nervous breakdown. I went through a very hard season of anxiety and depression. I wasn't sure that I was going to make it out, if I'm honest with you. It was probably the hardest time of my life, harder than any, any trauma that I had been through. And I didn't understand why. I serve you, Lord. I do all the right things. I check all the boxes. But that was a problem. Jesus brought to my attention that there was still baggage, even though I had been through years of therapy, I had been through years of prayer, even though he had healed me from so much, there was still things that were not serving me well. Things like pride, things like envy, things like self-reliance, self-sufficiency. 
You see, we think that because maybe we're a good Christian, we do right things, we don't, we don't murder, we don't steal, we don't say bad words, maybe we don't drink alcohol, I don't know, whatever that is, we're good. But God's like, there's things in your heart I want to get rid of you, I want to get rid of. There's things in there that maybe you don't even realize are there. And in order for you to be effective to reach other people, I need to strip those away from you. I'm not going to leave you as is. I'm not going to leave you with the biases, with the prejudice. I'm not going to leave you because that's not going to serve you and it's not going to serve me and what I'm trying to accomplish. And you see, even after Peter's mistake, the way that Jesus dealt with Peter in front of the disciples was with love and compassion, knowing that he messed up, knowing that there's so much that he still has to go through, knowing that it's a journey, knowing that he's not going to get it right, that it's not going to be perfect, but I'm not going to leave you as is. And in spite of all that, I'm going to deal with you with love and compassion. And he wanted to teach Peter the same thing because Peter was going to be a leader. And if he couldn't humble himself and realize that he's not perfect himself, how was he going to treat others that came into the church with love and compassion? How was he going to be real with other people if he didn't experience it himself? That way now he could relate to other people who messed up. That way he can have compassion and love and patience and say, I get it. I've been there too. I've messed up too. And I need to be real about that. We know that it's God's love that's going to change our hearts, that's going to help us love other people. Here in um, Desire of Ages in chapter 85, it says, the converted Peter was very different. He retained his former fervor, but the grace of Christ regulated his zeal. He was no longer self-confident and self-exalted, but calm, self-possessed, and teachable. He could then feed the lambs as well as the sheep of Christ's flock. Jesus won't leave us as is. Maybe there's baggage that we're carrying in different ways. And he's saying, I got to get rid of that. It's not serving you. I need you to reach Castle Rock. But there's things you got to deal with first. Going back to John 21, after Jesus confirms with the disciples and says, hey, Peter's good. He's still leading the church. We're good to go. Jesus says we see in Verse 17, after that, then goes on Jesus to tell Peter, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you, were, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you want, don't want to go. Now he said this indicating, but what kind of death he would glorify God. And then he said this. Then he's like, okay, Peter, come on, follow me, let's walk. Peter turns around and sees that John's following him and says, what about him? Like Jesus is literally trying to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation to tell him the plans he has for his life individually, specifically. And Peter's concerned about the guy that's behind him and says, what about his plan? And God's like, bro, 
mind your business. Like, if I want him to live until I come back, don't worry about it, sweetheart. Like, you and me. And you know, this makes me think about a couple of things. Um, it makes me think about comparison. How many times do we compare ourselves when God's trying to work in our lives and trying to talk to us, but we're like, but what about him? What about her? What about what they did? What about how come you're giving them that and not me? I don't know if any of you can relate, but sometimes when you want something and you're praying about something, um, everybody else gets it except you. And I know I've been there. I know I'm there now. And it's hard not to compare, especially in the world of social media, which we've probably heard before. But you know, something that God impressed in my heart was, Alma, just because you see something in them, whatever that is, it doesn't mean that that's my will for their life. You focus on me. And that's what he was telling Peter. You follow me. That's none of your business. All of that is not for you to worry about. You follow me. I have a plan for you. I'm trying to tell you what that plan is. You focus on me. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. I wonder also if Peter also means when he says, what about him? What about all that fluff? What about everything that's going on? What about everything I've been through? What about what they're doing wrong? I wonder if that also applies to say, don't let that get in the way of the purpose that I have for you. Jesus didn't let that get in the way. He still called him. As we see in this quote, Jesus wasn't defining us by where we've been. He was defining us by where he's leading us. And so if we could just stop caring so much about what others think, what others are doing or not doing, what we've been through, you know, with all the baggage that the Lord has been stripping from my life slowly but surely, it's been hard to see how God can use me because there are some, some days that I'm, I'm just broken because that's the world we live in. But God's like, I'm not limited by that. It doesn't matter what you've been through. I have chosen you. You follow me. Focus on me. Fix your eyes on me. Don't let what people have done to you, don't let what they were saying to you affect what I have planned for you. He's not saying ignore it. No, we absolutely have to address what's not right. Hey, if you, whatever it is that you need to do, if you need to go to therapy, if you need to get professional help, if you need to have those uncomfortable conversations, do it. But don't let that keep you. Hey, the things that you see in the church that aren't right, have those uncomfortable conversations, but don't let that keep you from serving the purpose that God has for you. I think also an important lesson here that Jesus is trying to tell Peter is that our faith is so personal. Jesus is like, it's you and me, you and me, nobody else. You know, when I was going through that season of anxiety and depression, you know, coming from, from the unfortunate, unhealthy family and dynamic that I come from, 
One of my family members said to me, you shouldn't be depressed. You have a good husband. And I'm like, I'm, yes, God has blessed me with a great husband, but only God can save me. Only God can heal me. Only God can restore me. Only him alone. My identity and my purpose is in being a child of God, not in being married, not in having kids, not in my job, not in my title, not in what I produce, but in being a child of God. And God is saying, I want you to realize that it's you and me. That's it. I'm enough for you. Is he enough for you? And finally, back to It's Always Been You, the title of, of this message. You know, for so many years, with the dysfunction in my family, the brokenness, the trauma, I had this desire for things to be a certain way. I was hoping for certain people to change. And God has been teaching me that it's actually always been you. The change that you want to see, you do it. The difference that you want to make, you do it. What you want other people to be, you be that person. You know, my younger sister has had a baby. She, a baby just turned eight months old. She really wanted to have a boy, which is really interesting because it's not like you get to choose. You know, we basically raised ourselves. There's three of us sisters from same mom and dad, and like I said, I won't go into details. We, we didn't grow up with a mom. My dad kind of raised us, but we kind of raised ourselves. And inevitably, there's going to be that desire in your heart, that emptiness in your heart, because it's not meant to be that way. And when my sister found out she was going to have a girl, whatever was in her heart, she really felt strongly that she should have a boy. And I thought to myself, Maybe God is giving you, and I told her this, maybe God is giving you a daughter so that you can be the mom that you never had. And she's like, I never thought about it that way. And so when I think about what I want to see in the church, what I hope from people, my expectations, God's like, no, it's always been you. When I think about the generational trauma in my family, God's like, no, you're supposed to break it. Even if nobody else does, you break it. You be the change. You show my love. You, you do what you wish you'd see. When I hear people say, I wish the church did that, I wish the church did this, I actually say, you do it. I wish there was a church like that. Then you start a church. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church Church hurt is very real, and we need to acknowledge it, and we need to be honest about it. Maybe you're new here, and maybe you're not sure about church. 
I don't blame you. We are imperfect. And I just, only thing I can say is I'm sorry. Whatever happened, whatever you've seen, it's not okay. But the good news is that Jesus still uses it for our good. But the thing that I cannot wrap my head around, in spite of the imperfections of the church, in spite of how honestly messed up we can be, he chose the church to be the light of the world. And that will never change. We have to remember that even if we see misrepresentation of Jesus, even if we see leaders who are supposed to be perfect, who are supposed to have it all together, who are supposed to be the perfect example, and even if we see them fail, the church is still God's vessel on this world, in this world. That's not going to change. Even with our own imperfections, even with our own failures, even with on our own biases and prejudice and whatever it is, God still chooses you and I. Doesn't matter your age, you still have a role to play. I encourage you to not let all of this fluff get in the way of God's purpose for your life. I mean, see in Acts of the Apostles that the church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. How can we display the love of God if we don't have it ourselves? Only God's love can change our hearts. I pray that we will know and be confident that God's love is set for us. It is set for you and I. Nothing you can do, nothing you won't do will change that. And when we realize that it's always been you and me, that God wants to use us the way that we are and that he will work with us along the journey because remember, he's not going to leave us as is. He's going to work with us and through us. Even after Peter repented and realized that, oh, I'm still going to lead the church, he thought he had forfeit, forfeited, forfeited it, but no, God's like, no, I still, you're still leading the church. What do you guys think? Did he go and lead the church and was perfect? For those of you who know your Bible, was he perfect after that? No. But as we know, God works all things for our good. And so when we're honest with ourselves, with each other and with God, when we realize that God wants us as is, but won't leave us as is, when we remember that it is between you and God, your relationship is personal, and when you're sure that God's called you, 
Jesus says, Alma, Jose, do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Thank you.